0: Welcome to Insights with Sites, the Symphony of Scripture, a weekly podcast exploring the themes and contours of the weekly Scripture readings. For more information about the podcast or to download the companion notes, please visit www.wycliffecollege.ca slash podcast. We now join our host, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Sites. We have a rich symphony of lessons to choose from for Easter Sunday, more so than on other Sundays, due to the several choices offered for the readings and for the preacher, the resurrection account from John, or what is often called the shorter resurrection narrative from Mark's Gospel. Shorter because the manuscript history shows that Mark, the Gospel of Mark, could end here at verse 8 with the astonishment of the three women witnesses having been told by an angel, a young man, that Jesus had risen and would be meeting them, the disciples, going ahead of them to Galilee. And with that, the Gospel ends. Alongside these readings there is the summary from Peter in Acts 10 which concludes with Jesus' resurrection from the dead and his appearance to chosen witnesses not to all but to those elected to bear testimony to him. This reading can either come as the first or second lesson. The alternative for the first reading is our more typical Old Testament lesson, here taken from Isaiah 25. With death swallowed up and tears wiped away, the Lord for whom they waited, women, disciples, angels, indeed, the whole world, the Lord for whom they waited has come. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Jesus was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That is, in accordance with Isaiah 25 and other Old Testament texts. And this is what St. Paul writes in his first letter to the Corinthians, which is the first option for the epistle reading. This is Paul's turn to tell us what he has received, the good news he proclaims, and in which, as he says, the church now stands, that Jesus Christ died and rose in accordance with the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, he writes, and the others of the 12, and yet 500 further, then James, and finally to himself, a disciple, as he calls himself, untimely born. The psalm for the day is a selection from Psalm 118. The I voice is that of the risen Christ. I shall not die, but live. The we voice is ours who witness that on this day the Lord has acted. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And it is the righteous sufferer in Israel, speaking of God's victory in Christ in all ages, including his own, the ages within which we stand, as Paul would put it. It is the year of Mark, and his resurrection account is unique, as given for this Sunday, and as likely existed in this form before the longer ending came into play. There it is in its 8 verse brevity. Jesus Christ's dramatic and terrifying absence that Easter morning is itself the warrant of His risen presence and God's promised vindication as Jesus had Himself promised as the young man says. Was Mark content with that ending? Perhaps consistent with his understated style? Was there a longer ending that got lost? Is the ending we now find attached? Perhaps a compilation based on the other Gospels? Is is John 21? which we'll be looking at in Sundays to come, is this perhaps Mark's lost ending. These are the puzzles that have tantalized faithful interpreters from Eusebius and Jerome down to our present age. That the manuscripts have not eliminated the issue means it's wise to rule out some kind of deficiency or obvious problem on Mark's part which needed to be corrected. The longer ending is itself a study in disbelief and non-recognition, as if breaking the silence which we hear at the end of verse 8 didn't make that much difference, measured against what God had dramatically done all the same. In his son and in raising him. The shorter ending, whatever else we make of it, is also a reminder that we have the Gospel of Mark in a fourfold Gospel collection, and alongside the resurrection accounts given there and by Peter in Acts and Paul in 1 Corinthians, and of course in the light of the according word of the scriptures of Israel as well. It is wrong to think of the character of the gospel as Mark in isolation, a single book, detachable witness. And The present longer ending of his gospel likewise reflects this wisdom as it seeks to bring Mark in line with the other testimonies. At the same time, Mark's bracing conclusion in verse eight needs to be and can be heard for its own sake within the context of this eight verse shorter resurrection account, which begins in verse one. Three women arrive to anoint the body. Joseph of Arimathea, as we read in Mark, just previously had very little time before the Sabbath and did the bare necessities. He got permission from Pilate. Jesus had died quickly. He provided a tomb. For Jesus had no family, tomb. He wrapped the body and had the stone placed. Now at the end of the long and silent Sabbath, the cohort of women buy the necessary spices and they get up early the next day, the third day. Two of them, Mark tells us, had noted where the tomb was at the end of that day of death. En route, they pose the obvious practical question making their way there, and it anticipates the dramatic sight they encounter when they do arrive. For the stone that worried them has been rolled away already. They enter the tomb and are alarmed to find a live young man there. He tells, that, tells them that in the niche where they might expect to find him, they will not. He points to the vacant place there. He tells them everything is going to plan. And just as Jesus had said, they are to tell the disciples, and yes indeed, Peter too, that he is going ahead just now and will be seen in Galilee. The gospel then ends with the women in terror and unable to speak. But of course we know that this silence was broken, broken by God himself. The readings all testify to Jesus indeed being seen in Galilee as the young man, the angel there had promised, and as Mark's terse, yet pregnant ending, has stated it. Galilee is where he appears, as Peter tells us in Acts. Of the twelve, he appears first to Peter, or in some signal fashion to him as Mark, Luke, John, and 1 Corinthians all agree. But before the reconciling encounter with the disciples he has chosen, who fled from him, we have the encounter with those who stayed closely by at his fateful hour and are also the first to attend to the body they had loved and the man that had cared for them in his day." The point may need emphasizing. The emotional link joins the practical. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all stress that while the twelve fled, at the cross or near enough to watch Jesus' passion, final hours, and death were women companions named in Matthew and Mark, and including Mary Magdalene, and at least one other Mary. Mark is probably the clearest in showing this fact as enabling the two Marys to know where the tomb is, and to be aware that more attention to the body is in order than what Joseph was able to undertake in the few hours before sundown and the beginning of the Sabbath. And so they are the first to confront the reality of an empty tomb whose rolled-away stone makes their visit possible, but then not necessary for the loving tasks they had come to do. John's longer and different resurrection account which can be read this Easter Sunday as well, agrees that women were first to the tomb. Again, it is Mary Magdalene. She sees the stone rolled away and runs to tell two key figures in John's presentation, Peter and the beloved disciple. These two will remain in critical frame from here to the end of the gospel. In John's gospel, the beloved disciple was at the cross with Jesus' mother, the Magdalene, and again, another Mary. The famous footrace is won, surprisingly, not by the ever-active Peter, but by The other disciple, as he remained with Jesus, spent the night with him and with Andrew at the very beginning of the gospel, remained next to him at the Last Supper and at the cross, so the beloved disciple remains at the tomb's entrance. The runner-up, Peter, true to form, rushes in. The narrator and the beloved disciple being one and the same, as we hear shortly at the end of the gospel, we can assume that he is reporting what Peter sees, as also he sees it before he goes in. Jesus has walked out of the wrappings of death with the head cloth by itself. The belief, comprehension, and understanding of the beloved disciple comes as he remains and contemplates what he sees, an empty tomb, the linen cloths lying where they are, as at the cross, the scriptures, still veiled for others, are not for him. They are sounding forth clearly. Perhaps Mark's shorter account would have suited the beloved disciple just fine. Now John saves the special first encounter with the risen Jesus himself for Mary Magdalene. Hearing it read, as we do on Sunday, it speaks for itself in emotional depth. Jesus is in his resurrection body, and in that body will be recognized in special ways. As we see in this new recreated life, Jesus is bringing us in his resurrection body. We might well think of a renewed Garden of Eden. And so how good it is that Mary supposes she sees the gardener the gardener, of course, is Jesus himself. The sound of her name from his mouth brings forth the new life he is bringing, the Easter life of her joy. Rabboni teacher. What she sees and what the beloved disciple knows by Scripture and by his posture of remaining, assisted in both by the Spirit poured out at the cross, is then relayed to the other disciples. Mary Magdalene said, I have seen the Lord. Welcome, happy morning. The symphony of Scripture forth to and from this eternal Easter fulfillment. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I had received that Christ was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear not to all people but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses. And all the scriptures testify about him. We hope you enjoyed Insights with Sights, the symphony of scripture. For archived episodes and notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca slash podcast. Thank you, and we hope you tune in again. This podcast is a ministry of Wycliffe College at the University of Toronto.